Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel, serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any of you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Happy Saturday. It is October 1st, the start of the best month of the year. So today's Saturday Classic pulls from our previous October episodes. It is the Hagley Woods murder, which we covered on Halloween of 2016. This murder inspired graffiti that continues to appear today with variations on the question, who put Bella in the witch elm? An update that I don't actually think has made it into an installment of Unearthed. In 2018, Professor Caroline Wilkinson and Sarah Shrimpton from Face Lab, Liverpool John Moores University, used photos of the skeletal remains of this person who's become known as Bella to create a reconstruction of what she may have looked like. That reconstruction has appeared in various books and TV shows, but the mystery of what happened to this person remains unsolved. So enjoy this story. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And it's Halloween, Tracy. I know. Hooray! It's the best day of the year. Uh, And today, to celebrate Halloween, we're going to talk about a history mystery. It's got everything. It's got uh, a mystery mystery body. It's got witches. It's got espionage. (laughs) Uh, It's got everything. And it's never been solved. Though, as we get to the end of the episode, we're going to get into some interesting math that tries to sort out the situation. 
But I don't want to spoil any of that, so let's just hop right in. So in the 1940s, a grisly discovery was made in a tree in Worcestershire, England. On April 18th of 1943, four teenage boys were looking for birds' nests, and they sent the best climber up an elm tree. In the hollow of the tree, he did not find a bird's nest. He found a skull. Initially, he thought it might be an animal skull, but when he pulled it from its place in the tree, he realized, no, it was a human skull. And there was also a a little bit of decomposing flesh still attached to the skull, as well as a patch of hair. And this skull had distinctive teeth. They were crooked, and there was sort of what what looks in pictures like almost a pronounced overbite, but also some lower jaw um, deformation. The boys, whose names were Robert Hart, Thomas Willits, Bob Farmer, and Fred Payne, were terrified They were also really worried that they were going to get in trouble because they had been trespassing in Hagley Woods. This estate, which was near Birmingham, was private. They had no permission to be in there looking for nests. They had also been hunting rabbits, so they'd basically been poaching, and they had been doing all of that that day with no permission. So the boys promised each other that they would keep it a secret. They put the skull back in its spot in the tree, and then they left. But the youngest boy of that group, Tommy Willits, did not, in fact, keep their secret. He was really deeply upset by the discovery, and he eventually confessed his troubles to his father. And his father immediately contacted police, and of course, an investigation began. When the police examined this elm tree, they found not only the skull, but also additional remains, including the majority of the skeleton. There were also pieces of clothing, a wedding band, and a single shoe with a crepe sole. The skeletal remains of one of this body's hands were also found buried near the tree. Examination of the remains by a pathologist concluded that the skeleton was a woman who had been between 35 and 40 when she died. She was 5 feet or 1.5 meters tall, brunette, and had probably given birth at some point. Another man involved in the investigation was forensic biologist Dr. John Lund, who at the age of 101 told the BBC radio show Punt P.I. about his examination of the remains. That uh, interview happened in 2015. So he had been working under James Webster at the West Midlands Forensic Science Laboratory, and he kept notes on the case. The body arrived at his lab on April 20th, 1943, two days after it had been discovered. The bones had absolutely no remaining flesh. The hair that was attached to the skull was quite fragile, but he determined that it had not been chemically treated with color or any kind of curling solution. And the woman, Webster and Lund concluded, had been asphyxiated by a piece of taffeta that had been shoved in her throat. Additionally, it was believed that the body had been hidden in the tree while it was still warm, feet first, and that it had been there for about a year and a half, placing her death somewhere around October of 1941. Efforts started immediately to try to identify what appeared to be the victim of a murder. Missing persons reports were combed through for anybody who might line up with this mystery discovery. There were detailed descriptions of what she had probably been wearing based on what Webster had been able to extrapolate from this shoe and the clothing remains that had been collected. There was a whole reference through the dental records with dentists from all around Great Britain. But because of the war, missing persons records were something of a mess at this point. But even so, all known listings were reviewed for a possible connection, literally thousands and thousands of records, but nothing matched. 
no results with dental dental records either, despite the fact that she had some unique features, including that jaw deformity and a recently pulled tooth uh, that had, had been pulled shortly before she had died. And they really cast a wide net by placing this information in dental journals, hoping that they would find a dentist that recognized any of this information. But the case went cold. A small clue finally came from a man who had been working in management at one of the area's industrial companies. He had reported to police in July 1941 that he was walking to his home near Hagley Wood and he heard a scream. Another person, a teacher who was also on the path but coming in the opposite direction, had confirmed that he too had heard this screaming. And police were called to the scene at the time that these two men heard this scream, which would have been close enough to the October death estimate to have been a possible connection to the murder. But police in 1941 found nothing where the two men had heard the woman screaming, and they found nothing when they revisited the scene in 1943 after reviewing that 1941 report. Just as the case seemed to be running entirely cold in December of 1943, odd graffiti started popping up in the area. Scrawled in various places were the words, Who put Bella down the witch elm? There were actually a lot of variations on the phrase, including Who put Lou Bella down the witch elm? And Who put Bella in the witch elm? There were also some more instances of graffiti that strayed from this question uh, format and said things more like Hagleywood Bella. And as a point of note, as we say this, we're not saying witch here uh, in the sense you might be thinking, what with this being Halloween. When we say witch elm, the spelling is W-Y-C-H. That's a tree, also known as a Scots elm. However, uh, in several things that I read, there were people that were adamant that this was in fact not a witch elm, but another type of elm that's often mistaken for one. Just wanted to include that in the interest of horticultural history (laughs) and to clarify that it is not witches in the... Halloween-y sense at this point. It is creepy, though. Yeah. Even without that spelling difference, still creepy. These graffiti messages appeared to be the work of a single person. They were all written in the same type of chalk in block letters, uh, and it was considered that they maybe were just somebody trying to play a prank. But there had been no leads in the case that had actually panned out up to that point. So these bizarre missives opened up two new lines of investigation. Number one, was there really someone named Bella who might be involved in this body that had been found in Hagley Woods? And number two, who was the artist behind the graffiti and did they actually know something about the murder? But nothing, not the name Bella, not the dental records, not the hunt for the graffiti artist seemed to lead to any actual information. This woman seemed to be entirely untraceable. And as the months dragged into years, all kinds of other theories started to pop up about the identity of this woman in the tree. And before we get to those theories that started popping up uh, in an effort to explain the skeleton in Hagley Woods, let's take a brief uh, break and we'll have a word from one of our sponsors. Say goodbye to complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping and say hello to an advantage with USPS Ground Advantage Shipping from the United States Postal Service. Every business faces challenges, but shipping shouldn't be one of them. So keep things simple with clear, upfront pricing. And no unexpected surcharges for Saturday deliveries, residential deliveries, or fuel. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there, helping you counter the rising costs of doing business with a budget-friendly alternative. 
and keep things reliable with on-time ground shipping, ensuring your shipments get to where they need to go while maintaining your hard-earned reputation. USPS Ground Advantage is your ticket to easy, cost-effective, and dependable shipping. It's the complete delivery service your business needs to rise above the competition. There's never been a better time to turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs, and if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode, hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding Finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. So, uh, we promised you a little witchiness at the beginning in the actual witch sense, not in the uh, W-Y-C-H tree sense. So we're getting there. Uh, Professor Margaret Murray of University College London, who was an anthropologist, Egyptologist, archaeologist, and folklorist, put forth the theory that Bella, as she had at that point become known thanks to that graffiti, had been the victim of a ritualistic occult murder. Uh, Murray's evidence to support this theory was the fact that the hand bones had been found away from the body. And she believed that the ceremony that had claimed Bella's life which is one which is called the hand of glory, in which the hand cut from the victim could be used for divining or protection as part of the practice of witchcraft. And the sensational nature of this idea really took hold in both the press and the public imagination. This reminds me of the satanic ritual abuse panic. It is absolutely the same thing. <laughs> that, that was not really founded in reality. So... When another murder victim was discovered in a neighboring village, this one, a man who was pinned to the ground with a pitchfork, people started linking the two deaths, even though it had been two years between the two. 
Scotland Yard, who was spurred on by Margaret Murray, started investigating this witchcraft angle because there had been no other new leads in the case. And as with all the other leads, it got them nowhere. Had no real information that was gathered as a result of Murray's theories. And as a side note, while uh, Margaret Murray was famous for a time in the early 20th century as an expert, and I should put that in the air quotes, on witchcraft, most of her writings on the subject were controversial at the time, and they were eventually debunked, and she was largely discredited. She is actually on my short list for an episode all her own, but uh, she was basically kind of making stuff up. Yeah, the first time I read through this outline, I got to this description of her purported satanic, not satanic, but like her purported ritualistic occult murderer. And I was like, really? Yeah. <laughs> really, actual anthropologist for real? Did you did you just make this up? Like, what? Really? You know, she used logic that made sense to her. Uh, but I, I don't know that she was uh, kind of fabricating these in an effort to be... Um, to be misleading or sensationalist, I think she might have believed them. But I will do more research on her, perhaps in the future. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that will be an October episode next year. I maybe can't wait till then. But we'll oh, see. Sure. What That's cool too. Then. <laughs> so ten years after that initial grisly discovery in the tree, there was another possibility that came to light. This time, a woman going by the name Anna from Claverly contacted the press in a letter. She was responding to a series of articles that had been been written in 1953 about the murder, saying she knew who had killed Bella. Anna's claim was that Bella had, in fact, been part of an espionage play gone wrong. And the letter read, Finish your articles regarding the Witch Elm crime by all means. They are interesting to your readers, but you will never solve the mystery. The one person who could give the answer is now beyond the jurisdiction of earthly courts. Much as I hate having to use a nom de plume, I think you would appreciate it if you know me. The only clues I can give you are that the person responsible for the crime died insane in 1942 and that the victim was Dutch and arrived illegally in England about 1941. I have no wish to recall any more. Anna's story cast Bella as a Dutch woman who was passing information from a British officer to a trapeze artist who appeared in local theatrical productions. That trapeze artist would then pass that intel on to the Germans. Bella in this story had become too knowledgeable about this chain of of information, and she was killed because of that knowledge. And then her body was taken to Hagley Woods, where it was hidden in the tree. Of course, this fleshing out of the story past that initial letter came because uh, the police got involved, of course, once the press got this letter uh, and they questioned her. Because the area around Worcestershire was home to a number of munitions factories during World War II, it had been scrutinized by the Nazis for information during the war. It had also been a target. So authorities did pursue this new German spy ring angle with some level of vigor. Some aspects of Anna's story checked out. There had been a British man connected to a German spy ring in the area, but he had died in Stafford Mental Hospital in 1942. And as it turned out, that man was related to Anna. Anna's real name was Una Mossop. Una had, she told police, been married to Jack Mossop, and he had confessed the murder to her before his death. It was her understanding that he, along with a Dutch man named Van Ralt, who was also involved, meant to scare this woman by leaving her in the tree when she was passed out because she was inebriated. They did not actually intend to kill her. 
Yeah, the idea was that she would wake up stuck in this tree and see the error of her ways in being foolish uh, and would straighten up and act right. Uh, the police were unable to locate this Van Ralt character, and it appears that they sort of abandoned the trail there. Uh, years later, however, another woman named Judith O'Donovan told police and investigators that she was Jack Mossop's sort of distant cousin. I think her he might have been her husband's cousin. And that their entire family basically knew that Jack had been a traitor and that he had been connected to a woman's death. So it sort of supported this spying idea uh, and the fact that he may have been connected to the woman in the witch elm. Another decade passed before another theory emerged, and this one kind of combined the previous two notions. In 1968, a book called Murder by Witchcraft was published, written by David McCormick. And McCormick penned an explanatory narrative in which the woman from the tree had been a Nazi spy named Clarabella, who was also an occultist. According to McCormick, who said that he had been able to look at German intelligence reports uh, that listed the woman by her codename, she was called Clara. His assertion was that the Bella in the graffiti was referencing Clarabella. McCormick's book indicated that Clara had been sent into the county of West Midlands by parachute in 1941, but that she was never heard from again. Of course, these roads all proved to be fruitless, just like all the others had, in terms of churning up any real information on the case at the time. Three full decades after McCormick's book was released, the case of Bella's identity once again gained attention. And at this time, pieces of the puzzle started to come together in the minds of interested parties. For one, uh, when the case closed, which was actually in 2005, uh, the case file was published. And in it, there was a mention of a search for Bella's body to be exhumed so that DNA evidence could be gathered, because that would certainly be helpful. But that search was for her body was unsuccessful. It turns out that this failure to find her body was in part because they had been looking in completely the wrong location. It had been presumed that Bella had been buried locally, but in fact, her remains had gone to the University of Birmingham to a colleague of the original pathologist in the case for additional testing. And that was a detail that had sort of been lost in the 60-some years since the case had been active before it was closed in 2005. And unfortunately, the skeletal remains disappeared from the university's records and their lab, uh, lost forever to time. And any records from the University of Birmingham about any testing that was done on those remains have also vanished. This has led to some speculation of a cover-up, but it could also just be really terrible bookkeeping. Yeah, I'm going to hold out hope that one day it will be one of those, look what we found in our own collection. This (laughs) set of human remains that nobody labeled correctly. And the thing to keep in mind, too, um, and I know this from my years working in a library, is that uh, there were things that happened during wartime that really messed up record keeping. You know, it wasn't necessarily that people were lazy or trying to cover anything up. There was just there were times when an air raid would happen and everything mm-hmm. would be shuffled around and stuff got lost. Yeah. Well, and even if you are really careful, human beings still make errors. <laughs> And if you have a gigantic what? collection and are still 99% accurate, that's a bunch of errors. Anyway, coming up, we're going to talk about an MI5 file that might actually give some weight to the narrative as that McCormick had, had reconstructed. But first, we're going to take a quick break for a word from one of our awesome sponsors. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding Finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. So another bit of information that also shed light on this possibility that McCormick's theory had some truth to it. Uh, A declassified file in the British National Archives on Gestapo agent Joseph Jacobs, who was an inexperienced, undertrained agent that was sent to gather information on weather patterns in the London area. Jacobs had parachuted into Cambridgeshire in 1941, broken his ankle in the drop, and was arrested by the Home Guard, which was a World War II defense organization that was part of the British Army. One of the items that Jacobs was carrying when the Home Guard apprehended him was a photograph. That photo was a picture of a woman named Clara Bowerly, a singer and film actress that Jacobs said was also his paramour. He also told his captors that Clara Bowerly was a Nazi secret agent and was supposed to parachute into West Midlands, and that the two of them were supposed to have made contact. Jacobs was executed by firing squad in the late summer of 1941, and this turned out to be the last execution at the Tower of London. Uh, He could also easily be an episode subject on his own. These MI5 records on Jacobs included an investigation of Bowerly. She was born in 1906, meaning that in 1941 she would have been 35, which was the right age to fit the pathology report of the Witch Elm victim. And she did work in music halls in the West Midland area for two years before World War II began. And she learned to speak English with no trace of a German accent. 
When the woman who had been calling herself Anna contacted the police in the 1950s, claiming to have knowledge of the crime, she had mentioned a music hall in the information that she gave to the police. And while this might seem to tidily wrap up the identity of Bella quite nicely, because the pieces do seem to fit together, uh, Joseph Jacobs' granddaughter, who has long examined the details of her grandfather's life, actually obtained a death certificate for Clara Bowerly, indicating that, in fact, she died in Berlin in December 1942 of veronal poisoning, i.e. not stuffed into a tree in England. Of course, gossip churned up a huge variety of other possibilities about Bella's identity. She might have taken shelter in the tree during an air raid and gotten stuck. She might have been murdered by a lover and clumsily hidden in the tree. She may have been a traveler or a Romani who was killed out of mere suspicion. And there was even a lead that, at least in terms of plausibility, seems fairly valid. So on April 7th of 1944, a sex worker from Birmingham told police that a woman that she knew had gone missing on Hagley Road or in that area three years earlier. And that woman's name was Bella. Uh, If this information garnered follow-up from the police, it does not appear to have gotten much traction. Incidentally, this whole graffiti of who put Bella in the witch elm has continued in the seven decades since the murder was discovered. There's an obelisk in Hagley Park called the Witchbury Obelisk, and it's been the most frequently tagged location since the 1970s. Presumably at this point, it's kids trying to be spooky, and the spelling has changed from W-Y-C-H to W-I-T-C-H. It's definitely not somebody trying to communicate a kind of clue about the unsolved murder case at this point. It is like Kilroy was here, but... Exactly. And it's very possible that it never was anything but people pulling pranks, but we just don't know. Uh, In 2014, a statistical analysis of all of the known data in the Hagley Woods murder uh, was done by researchers Norman Fenton and Martin Neal using Bayesian analysis, and they determined a number of things. uh, They're actually in that BBC... Uh, radio uh, piece that we mentioned earlier, but then they also wrote a paper separately where they explain it all, and that thing is fabulous. Um, So it'll be in the show notes. But the first thing that they determined is that there is a 99% probability that the cause of death was criminal. That one is the completely unsurprising. Correct. Uh, There's a 97% probability that Bella was not British, less than 2% chance that she was Dutch, and an 18% chance that she was German. There is a 93% probability that Bella was still alive when she was put in the tree. That's awful. That kind of holds with that whole story that the men had put her there to scare her and that Mm -hmm. she had somehow become stuck. There's a 33% possibility that Jack Mossop was involved in her death and 7% that it was some kind of intelligence service. In order to increase that probability to a 95% chance that Mossop was involved, the researcher's model would have required four additional witnesses in addition to Una Mossop and his cousin Judith. And there is a 25% probability that Bella was a spy and a 16% uh, probability that she was a prostitute. In their paper on this study, the researchers were very clear that there are lots of variables that could really quickly change the whole statistical picture. For example, they're working under the assumption that police involved in the investigation really did exhaust all the leads in each instance where they felt like there was a dead end. 
if they left a stone unturned here or there, then the model shifts significantly. Additionally, there's the credibility of various witnesses. Yeah, if you um, increase or decrease the credibility rating of various witnesses, that model changes really quickly as well. But of course, all of those numbers do not settle this crime conclusively, and Bella's story remains a mystery. And considering the age of the case, it is unlikely that this murder will ever be solved unless, as Tracy mentioned earlier, the remains uh, or the university lab files suddenly turn up. So that is our spooky unsolved mystery for Halloween. Uh, and we hope yours is safe and that you do not end up in a tree stuck Please in Please don't. Way. I mean, I would, you can climb a tree safely if you want to do that. <laughs> I uh, have never climbed a tree. Really? Yeah. Uh, they're, dirty and I'm sca- <laughs> they're dirty and I'm scared. That's the bottom line. Uh, my mother had very clear rules about how large the branch could be for us to safely climb the tree. Ah. Uh, and, and if we climbed up into branches that were narrower than that, I think it had to be at least as uh, as big as our arm. I can't remember if it was our arm or our leg. There was a body part that we had to compare before we put our weight on any tree limb. Yeah, not my a mother, tree climber. My mother is very concerned with safety. I've had many friends through the years who are big into tree climbing, and they always look at me like I'm some sort of mutant when I'm like, I've never climbed a tree and I feel no urge to change that. (laughs) That's fine. Thanks so much for joining us on this Saturday. Since this episode is out of the archive, if you heard an email address or a Facebook URL or something similar over the course of the show, that could be obsolete now. Our current email address is historypodcast at iheartradio.com. Our old How Stuff Works email address no longer works. You can find us all over social media at Missed in History. And you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. 
Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.